Good evening, and welcome to Dante's Old South. My name is Clifford Brooks, poet and founder of the Southern Collective Experience. Before we get started, I want to give a special thank you to the Camp House here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, for allowing me to sit in and get my notes together and my mind ready for the program. And for those of you out there who are looking to hone your writing skills and to learn how it can pay off in the end, go online to www.southerncollectiveexperience.com and click on the tab that says events for the Living the Creative Life event in Canton, Georgia on March 9th. Publishers, editors, poets, and novelists will fill your day from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. with the means to get that elusive inspiration together in order to create your product, and then how to make that product pay off. Farther on, on April 12th through the 13th, Georgia State University will be hosting Lost Southern Voices, two days of lectures, book sales, and good times to illuminate those lives of writers that you may not know about but should. To know more about that, please visit lostsouthernvoices.com. And before we get started, let's hear a song by Alan Poe and Marcus Taylor from the album Musical Consciousness. And the song's called Your Name. He's a sweet soul, brother. Yes, yes, y'all. Alan Poe. Brown eyes, soul man. You know we have to do it. Feeling this. That's what we do. Your soul man. Come on, come on. I meet them, but I forget their names. On a reference never ever came. Uh -huh. I've looked, but they are not the same. Yes. You have death, they are only plain. Uh -huh. I only remember your name. Your name. Your That's right. That's right. I meet them, but I forget their names. Yours is the one I remember. Implanted since that December. Point of reference never ever came. They failed to meet your ground. They failed to have your heart. They're just a cavity. I've looked, I've looked, I've looked, but they are not the same. I never asked for their number. They failed to wake me from slumber. You have death. They are only plain. There's only one that can win. They fail to contend. It is your name. Your name. I only remember your name. I only care for your affection. For you. You. You have my soul's reflection. your name that stuck in my head thinking about you while laying in the bed my nice soul man collabing about your 
honey. I'ma keep it 100, not worried about these dummies. All these women, they take me for granted. You caught in my eyes, it seems my seed is planted. I wanted to be the chosen, heaven's open. I didn't believe them when they said that you were broken. I'm hoping you believe me and give you one more chance. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, so save that last dance. I proved that I'm all that and the bag of chips. I'm loving how you smell, plus I'm checking out your hips. Recognize with your sis, I'ma take the pass. I'll be lying if I wasn't checking out your ass. Never on blast, so no need to lie. I rock the pizza, plus I'm a real cool guy. I'm not a rich guy, but I'm rich with love. A type of guy that your mama would love. I remember your name is the topic. Shorty got me over, cause damn, Shorty's toxic. Yes, yes, yo. From my book, The Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics, that came out originally in 2013 and now reissued through Kudzu Leaf Press, I want to read a poem called On the Last Wild Edge. Sunset, back wet from hard work, hands raw from shovels. Firewood stands in clean stacks by the back door. A hawk sits on a telephone wire, watching cut fields. Men and women retire indoors. Orange is smeared behind mountains bursting at the seams. Trees are an unkept mane. It's a curved, unbroken line where bears sleep in winter. With so much rain, the view has a gauzy sheen. Rugged life is in the walls of small homes on the edge. The quiet spirits a man away, witnessing natural decay. Never misplaced or confused, the bones and blood are from this earth, these flowers, the crops. If you like this poem and want to check out more, please visit www.kudzuleafpress.com where you'll find the book where I read this poem, On the Last Wild Edge, and The Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics, as well as my other two books, Athena Departs, Gospel of a Man Apart, and the chapbook, Exiles of Eden. And first up at bat, we have Mr. John Graber. How are you doing, sir? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, son. Um, let's get started at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and how you got here to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, so I actually grew up all over the United States. I was born in Michigan. Um, I lived there a couple times. I actually went to college there. I've lived in New York a couple times. I lived in South Dakota, of all places. Um, and I've actually lived in Tennessee. It's kind of hard to count. It depends on how you define it. But I lived in Swanee for a while when I was a kid. Came to Chattanooga in high school, and I bounced back and forth, but ended up settling here. So in your travels, do you feel like um, that nomadic kind of lifestyle plays a role in your writing? That's an interesting question. I've never really thought about that. Um, it's possible. Um, it's definitely possible. Certainly one of the poems um, that I've written recently has a Midwestern feel to it, at least in my mind. Um, I was inspired by um, growing up in the Midwest by the experience I had in the Midwest, in particular the winter. Perhaps it was inspired by how cold it was up it was up there recently. But yeah, it's it's probably it's probably definitely had a uh, had an impact in that way. All right. Well, then, how has writing been a part of your life? Well, so writing has always been something that I've loved to do. You know, it helps me organize my thoughts and emotions. A lot of times, I don't really know what I think or feel about something until I write about it. Um, sometimes I realize that I think differently about something. Sometimes I change while I'm writing it. I've actually sent in a draft to a publication and realized that the process of writing it changed me. Um, and I've had to send them revisions and just say, I'm sorry, but this just isn't true anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, it's always been a part of my life since I was a little kid. In fact, you know, when I was in elementary school, I wrote a space romance which unfortunately was before the age of computers, so it's lost to time. Um, I'd love to be able to go back and revisit that. Um, but sort of in the last two or three years, I've, um, I've made a concerted effort to start writing more, and the reason for that is I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a very talkative person. Um, and one of my drawbacks is that I don't communicate very well. Um, and, you know, in a lot of relationships, you know, you can deal with that, but I realized that wasn't really okay um, in my relationship with my children. Um, and probably it's been a while now, probably five or six years ago now I was in the attic and I found, um, I found one of my dad's diaries. Um, and I probably shouldn't have read it, but I did. Um, and it was amazing to me, kind of the world that opened up when I read those, some of those entries and I only read four or five pages, but it was just an entire different side of him that I, that I had just never experienced. And um, so I decided to write. I decided that could be a way that I could communicate with my children, you know, and they're not, they're little kids. They're not reading what I'm writing now. My hope is that it'll be something that I can leave to them. Um, and, you know, there are other secondary reasons, but that was kind of the primary force to get me writing again, to get me publishing um, and to help me focus on what I was doing was wanting to leave that behind for my children so they would know a little bit more about who their dad was. Now, you touching much on the poetry you've written in the past, how it, uh, it changes and you change over time. Can you go back to the beginning and, and, and tell me why you started writing poetry in the first place? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. <laughs> um, in all honesty, it's very recent. I mean, poetry, I kind of, maybe it's not good to think about it this way. I kind of have a hierarchy of writers in my head. Um, it's typically based on the things that 
that I see other people do that I don't know how to do yet. And so like it tends to go nonfiction, then fiction, then poetry. Um, and it, it, uh, it has that hierarchy because I mean, poets to me are, are wizards. Right. Like, I don't know how they're doing what they're doing. It's like mm-hmm. alchemy, it's magic. It's, it's unexplainable to me. And that's how I felt for a really long time. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, but the concept of writing it just seemed really like a big hurdle to jump over. Um, and it's really only been in the last few months that I've explored it more. You know, we've, I've been able to interview a couple poets. That's probably helped. Um, but it also, I think what pulls me to poetry, at least recently I've realized, is that poetry, when I start a poem, it's starting from an emotion um, versus when I start an essay, it's starting from an idea. You know, when I, when I start that poem, I'm really trying to capture an emotion, and I don't really know where I'm going with it. I'm just trying to capture that emotion. Right, right. And it's a, the home poetry and have it, I think what people, why well, many people will stay away from it is that they, they don't understand what the poet is saying. And when you, when you look at that alchemy, when you, when you look at the chemistry of what it is that you like in poetry, do you find that, that accessibility is important to you, that you, know, you have to work a little bit to get into it, but not so hard that you're beating your head against the wall? Does, 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 does accessibility play a big role in your poetry? Yeah, so, you know, you definitely want it to be accessible. You don't want it to, to be a complete mystery. Um, and I would say that as much as the act of writing it felt like a mystery to me, uh, reading it was less so. Um, and I felt like it does, I do feel like I have to work to get into it. You know, and that's a little bit of a draw, honestly. Um, but poetry also, one of, the, one of the things that really helped me and how I thought about it is um, I've, heard, I've heard prose described as when you're reading prose, you're looking through the words to the writer's meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're reading poetry, it's a little bit more opaque. Um, it's a little bit more reflective. And so the reader is imparting some of the meaning onto the poem. And I'm, you know, my brain is focused to try to figure things out. And it was letting go of that a little bit and realizing that poems aren't necessarily about figuring out what the writer means to say. Um, and so just, you know, and that, that's exciting because that means every time you read a poem, definitely between readers, it means something differently. But even reading it yourself, you go back and read it again. And I've noticed this when I go back and read poems that I like over and over and over. It's like they mean something new every time. And I think it's because, you know, you're in a definite life stage or you're just having a different emotions on that day or whatever, um, but you're imparting something new onto that. And because a poem is more ro- opaque, it's, it's reflecting some of what you're imparting into it. And so, you know, when you see these ideas in, in poetry and, and, you, and you reflect back on how it affects you and how you want to have that same effect on, on other people, what leads you to express an idea through your poetry to help them along? I need to think about that. Can you ask it again? Yes. All right. We just heard you talk a great deal about ideas and emotions and how sometimes a poem can mean separate things, but let's get to the very seed of a poem in its simplest form and say, what leads you to express an idea through poetry? Yeah, so it is that emotion. Um, with, with both, both of the poems, honestly, I can count the number of poems I've written on one hand. Um, so there aren't a lot to pull from. Um, but you know, with, with two, the two poems I'm thinking about, um, 
it definitely it definitely started from that emotion. You know, one of them actually both of them ended up being about my father. One of them didn't start out that way, and I didn't realize it was going to be until about halfway through. Um, but the other one definitely did. And you know, my father left when I was three, when I was very young, and those are those are emotions that I've never really explored. And I, I can't even really explain them. You know, they're kind of beyond language. Um, but there's a, they definitely create a feeling in me, a visceral feeling. And so that first poem that I wrote about that was just trying to capture that feeling. Right. Now, before we jump on those poems, let's touch on tributaries. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so tributaries is something that, that I'm really excited about. Um, basically, what happened is a friend of mine and I, a local friend of mine and I, John Hawbaker, uh, went to a writer's conference about a year ago. And we left that conference just really inspired by the other writers that were there and by the work they were doing. Um, and we left just really wanting to celebrate writers and great writing. You know, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there about people just talking about writing and giving their thoughts on it. And that's all well and good, but we didn't want to do that again. Right. You know, I don't know that it's really necessary to do that again. So what we decided to do is when we find a piece, whether it's a poem or fiction or creative nonfiction, that really moves us and we try to avoid things that are kind of the hot topics of the day. Um, when we find a piece like that that we really love, essentially we just write, write <clears throat> when we find a piece like that that we really love, essentially we just reach out to the writer and say, we really love this. Mm -hmm. Would you come on and talk to us about it? Um, and then, so sort of the twist that we add to it is we ask them to pick a piece not written by them that they really love, that's really moved them. And the three of us talk about that together. So we'll talk about their piece and the introduction, but then the bulk of it is about this third piece um, that's really moved them. And we're able to talk about craft and heart in that piece, how it's moved them. Um, and it's just been really exciting. We've, I mean, every once in a while, we take what we call moonshots as far as request you know, sending out emails to guests and like 99% of those have come through. Yeah. Like we'll send one out, not expecting it to come through and the person will write back and be like, yeah, I'd love to do this. And what, so one of the side benefits of this is it's really sort of imparted on me that writers just, it just feels like writers are very generous people and they remember what it was like before they were famous. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the, the once or twice that, that we've gotten to know it's been a scheduling issue. Right. Um, but primarily, people have said yes, and they've been really gracious to us with their time. Awesome. How do people get their hands on tributaries? Yeah, so it's a, it's a monthly email newsletter. Okay. It's a tiny letter. Um, so if you go to tinyletter.com slash tributaries, you'll see an archive link there. You can see past issues, and you'll see a link to subscribe. All right. Well, Mr. John Graber, why don't you give us those two poems right now? Give us a little – set the stage for us with both. Sure. So the first one I want to read, um, this one came out of, came out of listening to an album that my wife sent to me. She said, you know, she sent me a link. She said, I think you're going to love this. She was right as she is most of the time. And, uh, and I listened to it kind of on repeat for two or three days. And it, again, there wasn't an idea that it was making me think of, but it was a feeling. It was an emotion. And that feeling was a Midwestern winter, sort of that cold, hard, you know, cutting wind, hard ground, ice, you know, frozen fingers, frozen nose, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
And none of that sounds good, obviously. I mean, it's miserable. <laughs> but, but the truth is I'm drawn to that. And so I decided to explore that, um, explore why I'm drawn to that. It, but I'll, I mean, explore just that I'm drawn to that to begin with, but also why and, um, and what that might mean. And I mean, obviously, I'm drawn to that because it's part of my upbringing. So this is cold. I'm drawn to bleak landscapes and hard winters. The feel of icy tendrils slipped beneath skin and bone cracked by cold. Slate skies of endless gray, skin burned by a razor wind. As much me as it is my home. These roads are long and straight, flanked by trees, black claws slick with damp or sheathed in brittle armor. They bear me home, where my bones have also been cracked but not by the cold. That's solid, bro. That's solid. Now, what's the second one? Yeah, so the second one, um, so kind of in that same vein with the album of sort of art begetting art and inspiring art, um, I was reading the book Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. And there's this scene in that book where Lincoln, the president, um, visits the crypt where his son was buried, Willie. Um, and he's just, his emotion is just pouring off the page. I mean, he's distraught, obviously, as you should be mm -hmm. if your son dies. You know, he's holding them in his hands. He's trying to will him back to life. And I already mentioned, you know, that my father left when I was three years old. Um, and those are emotions that I've, that I've only begun to grapple with. And part of the reason for that is that I, now he's four, but I have a son who's essentially the same age. You know, and I look at him. And the idea of leaving, it's incomprehensible. I do not get how it happens. You know, and then I think, I'm thinking about like how I would feel, you know, it's kind of this weird, it's a weird way to think, but I'm thinking about like, what if he had somebody that he cared about so much who left him, how enraging that would be, like, because I love him, how mad it would make me for somebody to hurt in that way. And then I almost have to step back and I'm kind of, this kind of tells me I'm disconnected from my emotion, but I kind of have to step back and be like, wait, that happened to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. this, what I'm, this sort of dark imagining that I'm putting on my son that's making me feel so angry, that actually happened to me. And so I wrote this poem kind of based on that feeling, again, a very visceral emotion, kind of asking my dad, like, how could you do this? Like, what was going on in your head? How could you possibly justify leaving? This is how many times. Have you heard the story of Abraham Lincoln? The one about his son, Willie. Willie who died. His father, the president, would visit his tomb in the night. Night after night, he climbed the muddy slope to unlock Willie's crypt and remove his body. For hours, he cradled him, talking to him, touching him, Tears falling on Willie's cold, lifeless skin. How many times did I lay my head on your shoulder, Dad, after you decided to go? How many times did you tuck me into bed and sing me a song? You'll never know how deeply the sea churns when my son threads his fingers in mine, when he burrows his head into my shoulder, and I know what you gave up. My skin was not cold. My body still breathed. I was not locked in a tomb. You didn't have to visit me in the night. I was still alive, Dad. 
Wow. John Graber, it has been an honor to have you on this show, and, and you will be back whenever I have to drag you back myself. Excellent. It's been great being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. And now we're up with a project that I came across about a month ago. Um, it's a documentary called 32, and it is a privilege to have its director, Lil Mo, here, and the recording artist and executive producer, Maul. How y'all doing? How you doing? What's going man? on? Glad to be here. Thanks all for right, having me. All right. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Now, I knew nothing about what went down in this documentary until you gave it to me. And when I sat and watched it, um, the, the, the coverage of it was, was powerful. It was powerful, and it pulled no punches, but it wasn't trying to throw anybody in the eye. Nope. Um, Lil Mo, how did this whole project come to be, and how did you come behind the helm of it? Well, me and my boy, man, um, Jamal, a.k.a. Mata Pimp, we, uh, we were just having a conversation one day, man, and um, we decided that we wanted to make a, a documentary about this topic. You know what I mean? And uh, Molly, he he been to school for this stuff, and you know what I'm saying he had a he had a real good plan and a strategy, and I believed in it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, uh, I said I'm, I think this can be a pretty good project, man, a big project if we just put our all into it, you know. So that's what we did. You know, it took it took like three years to put together, man. Because what year did this happen? 2013. 2013. November 2013. Yeah. Now, so the audience knows it from beginning to end. Give me, the, give me that, give me how this whole thing started and went down. Uh, well, the basic started. It was uh, they did a uh, first. This guy, well, I'll go back to the beginning. They made us put this together back in 2008 or 2009. Hamza County Sheriff Billy Long was arrested. He was caught with multiple kilograms of cocaine, multiple pounds of marijuana, providing f- firearms to known felons and things like that. He served eight years on a 16-year sentence, which is a blessing. Depending on what you got, if you get caught with all that, that's a that's a that's a that's a good deal, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So fast forward, when this, this guy gets picked up, he's charged and then sent away to do his time. Four years later, they they indict these guys right here. You know, these guys were, none of these guys were caught with any drugs. They were all were alleged to have been talking on the phone about stuff. So they may or may have not said whatever they were accused of, but the things that they were accused of saying was a lot less than what he got caught in person with. Right. So it kind of just, you know, baffled me that they would get triple the time that he got. You know, if, if he's bringing in this much drugs and they're accused of talking about this much, where are they getting it from? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the guys who, who the guy who's supplying these men, you lock him up and give him a slap on the wrist. The guys who get caught with or without it, you know, you, you send them away for the, almost for life. You know what I'm saying? So that kind of bothered me. That first and foremost, then we said on the news that these guys are the worst of the worst and stuff like that, the way they were just profiled on the news. I know, I know a lot of these guys personally. I grew up with a lot of them. A lot of them I just knew from the city, so I know these guys. A lot of them I know their moms. You know what I'm saying? I know yeah. their kids, their wife. So I know these guys. So I know what I'm saying on the news is not true. Right. And then to see the worst of the worst being profiled on the news, to me that was defamation of character. And then if you're trying to, if you tr- if you're really trying to clean drugs up off the street, we'll for that. But how do you just only get all black men for that? Every race does drugs. Yes. Every race across the border does drugs. And so when you only get all black men in the drug roundup, it makes us think they were racially profiled. And right. the thing oh. about it, Clint, the thing about it is, if the sheriff is getting caught with thirty kilos. And these young men are the worst of the worst in the community, and they getting caught with ounces. Okay, kilos, ounces. Right. Where, the, where they getting the ounces from? Right. Mm-hmm. And How I, is it? You see what I'm saying? I do. And when I was watching the documentary, they, they, they arrested 32 gentlemen, three, 32 African Americans of varying ages. Some of them didn't even have rap sheets. Right. Some of them right. Had, 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 didn't have a speeding ticket. Right. Worst right. of the worst. Exactly. Right. And that's what they were called on the front page of the Chattanooga News. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so then. 
I was reading the point, and you might have to remind me of the name of the, the gentleman who was who was talking to his buddy about getting Zaxby's chicken, and they heard that phone call and said yeah, that, that Zaxby's chicken meant a kilo of cocaine, that and guy, he's doing, what, 10 Yeah, years? that guy was my role manager in this music. Okay, that well, guy was my role manager. You know, before he got picked up in this situation, if you wanted to call me for an interview or call me for a show, you would go through him for that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Half the time that these guys won the investigation, he was on the road with me. We was on flights flying out of town. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they tied him to this investigation out here because of some people who, <clears throat> who we knew. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And, and they didn't have anything on him. So yeah. his his deal was, okay, we, we want this guy right here. We know that you're cool with this guy. So if you're not going to give us what we need to know, we're going to take this conversation when you always talking about taking your wife out to eat Zach's because we're going to turn her into drugs unless you cooperate. Right. And since you didn't cooperate, that's what he got. And that was the whole part of it, was what you just touched on, is that they were going to give him a much lighter sentence if he snitched. Right. But he wasn't snitched, and so they piled up on him. Went two, now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he had they took two... Burglary charges? Two robbery charges. Two robbery charges. Oh, like 10, 10 years before, like right? That. On two right. different yep. occasions, right. and they bundled those things illegally. Right. Correct? Right, exactly. Right. And then they had his his wife was on the documentary, correct? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 yeah. See, yeah. what we want to do, Clint, is we want we just want to raise awareness on the on the situation, man. It's something that we've really been going through for years and years on years. Mm-hmm. And the, the opportunity just presented itself for us to... To do to say something about it, you, to to where you can't even get mad at us for saying nothing about it. It's like a slap in the face, man. You know what I mean? Like, so you got to understand, Clint. When they made the when they made no before we get going, no disrespect to you, uh, any other uh, white man or any other thing like that. Just speaking from a black man perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, when they made the Bill of Rights, when they made the Constitution of Independence, when they made all these laws in America. Wasn't none of my people in the room. Wasn't no women in the room. Mm-mm. It was white men in the room. Right. And for years, these men just been abusing their power. And the times have changed. Things have changed. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Things have changed. We have to change. We can't be going out the same rules we was going around when they had musket guns. Mm-hmm. Come on, yeah. man. We still <laughs> going out the same rules yeah. when they were challenging each other to a duel. Yeah, and what you, you see what I'm and saying? What you brought up about the um, the, it's a federal case. This whole drug thing was up. They were calling it a federal case, and it's like a double, a double <clears> smack <throat> in the face that they're trying to make make it sound like Chattanooga is the hub of all this violence and drugs, right, right, and it's not. Right, and then right. out of that, the second slap comes when it's like I said, 32 gentlemen, all African American, and right. then you know with with none of them had major charges on them, did they? They did. No, no. You had, and we had you know now you had a few that had some charges back in the day, but we spot we talking in general. Right, These right. are not the worst of the worst. And then to go a step further. These are the worst of the worst who causing all this crime and selling all these drugs. And these guys have been gone since 2013. Mm-hmm. It's 2019. We still got a lot of murder in the city. We still got a lot of drugs in the city. So who's doing that if mm-hmm. these guys are gone? It's so how, how did you really help by taking them off the street? Because you didn't stop anything. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. didn't stop nothing. And that's that's a specific point you addressed in your song, wasn't it? About, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is, and then I sure as it. I'm glad. Yeah, you you listened. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Told, I, I, I saw you in the parking lot. I was trying to be a fanboy when you when you came. I was like, I know you. I know right, you. Right. I, I it, 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 yeah. You know, it's and with it being 2019, another detail I picked up was that that sheriff's getting out this year. No, he's been out. Oh, he has? Yeah, he's oh, been, okay, he's been out about two or three years. Okay, I thought. Yeah, yeah, he's been out two or three years, which is another slap in the like you know. He did eight years. He was sentenced to 16. He did eight years. Mm-hmm. Now, if some of these guys would have been caught with multiple kilograms, mm-hmm. matter of fact, a half a kilogram, over, been a triple life sentence, no mm-hmm. parole, mm-hmm. but get caught over. with 32 or 33 kilograms, that's mm-hmm. cartel type stuff right there. Yeah. That's stuff you ship across the border right there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, so if I'm the sheriff and I get caught with all this, I'll take, I'll take 10 years happily. That's a blessing right there. Right. I know what it should have been. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now, you fast forward to these guys, the worst of the worst, who on the phone allegedly talking about stuff. Allegedly, yeah, ten to twenty years, mm-hmm. caught with nothing. 
right. phone calls. You know, and, what I'm and the phone calls y'all have on the documentary too. So I mean, the, that's what I love about the documentary is that it, it leaves no guesswork. Right. You know, right. like I wonder if that's true. No, you have it's, it's the whole thing is set up from the making of your video and to the the evidence given in the case to the you know the sheriff and, and, what, and it wasn't just drugs but uh, he provided a, a gun to a felon a gun and they to got that on camera yeah. so like, and the drugs too and the money on, ca- and on the money camera. laundering on camera yeah and on the, camera red hand yeah. hey can't get mad at Milder Pimp and Lil Mo Films man it mm-hmm. was just it's public information yeah you feel and this some, this something needs to be put out there you know I don't, I don't honestly think it's gonna stop but uh maybe if we bring a lot of awareness to it you know the next time when they decide to do something like this it'll be done with a lot more precaution and a lot more fairness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because because this this type of stuff is this ridiculous, man. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know. Uh, and y'all face some more of this unfairness during the production. When I you know I, when I watched the documentary, I saw that there's a part where y'all were filming the video and, and the police rolled up and was videoing y'all. You saw that? Yeah. True story. Yeah. True story. Yeah. And the only reason they didn't jump out and harass us was because the camera was video on them. camera. Mm-hmm. The camera was yeah. on them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because we y'all were watching it on the video on the, on the camera yeah. and then you had the camera behind you. On them. Right on you him. know what I'm saying? So yeah. if anything unjust would have been happened, it would have been caught on camera. But if we had had any cameras rolling. Mm-hmm. Or we would have say made a sudden like sudden abrupt move as if we were doing something like let's get out of here like but we know we weren't doing nothing wrong mm-hmm. a thousand people walk up and down Martin Luther King all day mm-hmm. why you come stopping us and I mean, it's the, the the artwork and then the 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 how Chattanooga's being refurbished the artwork on the buildings is amazing and you catch that Martin Luther King yeah, in, yeah. in the mural there with him yeah, yeah, right. it's just that the, the in the in the ugliness of the event and what was done to these thirty two gentlemen and more that we that's not on the video is going on right now. Y'all still captured the the beauty and the rejuvenation right, of Chattanooga, right, right, and it's, right. just, it's these subtleties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, and I know they were intentional. You yeah. know, or they wouldn't yeah. have been in the camera, in the video. Right, I mean, that, right. that's the 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 deliberateness of this is 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 what it is. I never watched it and thought uh, this is this is these are some newbies getting in the game. I mean, this whole production from from the song and then the the it wasn't a cross production like oh, I'm doing the song and we'd be in the video. It's a we did this, and this right. is the song of how it went down. This right. is the gospel hymn of how this thing came together, yeah, and this is the truth step by step by step. And it left no room to say but or what if. You know, right, it's, right, it's, right. it's like you, it's, it's almost like you wrote your own legal brief in song and documentary. That's the way it came across to me. <laughs> That's nicely put. Yeah, the song was supposed. The song was more like a, uh, the video was like a soundtrack to the documentary. And That's why we wanted to use the video to play it at the end. Mm-hmm. Once you watch the whole documentary and you, and you get and an idea of what's going words. on. Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. Mom, mom. Look at the video, and now you can get a. Now the video makes perfect sense when you're looking at it because you've already watched the documentary. That's mm-hmm. why it shouldn't. That's why we didn't want the video in the front of the documentary and the middle. We wanted it at the end mm-hmm. once you've seen everything. Mm-hmm. That way, the, the words and the lyrics and the footage that you see makes sense, like a soundtrack. Yeah, Ma, Ma, tell, Ma, t- tell us about the song. Tell us about the lyrics, how you put it together. I mean, uh, your, your inspirational process, how you get that fire out, brother. Uh, I, I started writing the lyrics. Uh, I wrote the lyrics before I even had a, a beat to go with it. I wrote the lyrics. Uh, actually, I came up with the hook first. They call them 32, the worst. Just what I saw on the news, they call them 32, the worst of the worst. But what's the worst is how their families were hurt. Mm-hmm. The sheriff gave them that work. Mm-hmm. There's still mm-hmm. drugs in the city, that's real. But they in jail, so you ain't getting it from them. That means it's bigger than them. Mm-hmm. True story. I wrote the hook mm-hmm. based off of that. When I wrote mm-hmm. the hook, then I think I started writing the verses after the hook. I still never had a track for it. I, yeah. was, I just wrote the verse and wrote the hook. And uh, and then my homeboy, Hush Shikari, out of North Carolina, uh, he sent me a beat for it. He sent me actually about 10 different beats. And I think when I skipped through the beats and I got to like beat number six, I said, this the one right here. Yeah, man. This the one right here. Recorded the song. Uh, and once I recorded the song, I just kind of put it up. But I knew when I did the video, I didn't want to just do a regular video. I knew I wanted to shoot a video with nobody in it, just me solo. I wanted to include footage from the news in order to paint the picture a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why I don't want nobody in the video, just a solo, just me solo. If you notice, know, it's just me, all solo shots. Yeah. And the only time you're not looking at me is when you're looking at footage mm-hmm. from the news. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I think that painted the picture right there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like the, the story being told, and when they would zoom back on you, it was always like the punctuation mark. Right. You know right, what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, is, am yeah. I getting that right? I mean, I, I'm not trying to force no, my... Okay. No, that's right. No, that's right. Yeah. You got it right. You got it right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the perfect picture I want them to paint right there. It's the perfect yeah. picture. Yeah, the perfect picture. So I think the video speaks volumes because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And then you're seeing it as you're hearing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's visual and it's, and it's audio at the same time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now... We have Alan Shropshire here, too. He thought he was going to get away from the mic, but he is not. <laughs> How you doing, boss? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Now, the reason it's easy to segue from 32 and, into what you're doing, the Community Bail Fund, um, is that, uh, and I've had some, some personal experience with friends in, in my own life, that some people get inside, that they get arrested, and they don't have any family or friend on the outside to, to do anything for them or to get them out. Is, you know, how did all those factors or any of them, how did it all, how did you build this up from the ground? <laughs> oh, well, personally, I can say from personal experiences myself, um, my past, but uh, I was connected with a lot of different organizations. Um, the organization that helped create the um, community bell farm is Caleb. So it's Chattanooga's in action with uh, love, equality, and benevolence. So it's an organization within organizations. So we have uh, at least eight to nine different different organizations that come together for one cause. And this cause right here has been one of the ones. So uh, criminal reform, you know, and injustice in our system. And, uh, you know, with me being a person, knowing that it's people in our communities that cannot afford to be able to bail out, um, that's our goal. So, you know, I'm glad we're on here today. I can say that uh, good news that uh, everything has been officially stamped. So our goal is before the months out, we'll, we'll be getting somebody out. So okay. Now, now, if people need to get a hold of you and, get, and know more about this project, where do they need to go? Um, well, definitely. Uh, you can either reach me on um, at my email, at, uh, alan at greenspaceschannuga.com. Or you can reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can check us out at Caleb um, on Facebook, Caleb on Facebook.com. Um, it'll be yeah, it'll be Caleb. You can reach us on there. Um, but definitely, uh, we will have upcoming events coming up in either March and in April. We will have a issues convention, and um, these guys that we're talking to with Mo and my uh, uh, little Mo Films, and we have Mall. These two guys will be at our next Bell Fund um, event too. So we're just trying to tie all that in because they have a good topic what they're talking about and it just ties right into the injustice that we're speaking on right on right yeah. on now Lomo, where can people find your documentary and get their hands on it where can they buy this thing hey man you can go to um www32documentary www.32dvd.com all right all right and Ma, where can we find your cd uh well let me say this the documentary like you just said the the, the, the as far as locally here in the in the city, you can go to the Fast Stop gas station on Wilcox Boulevard, 2285 Wilcox Boulevard. The 32 documentary sitting right in there behind the shelf. You walk in, you can't miss it. You can see the posters on the wall to let you know that it's still there. And then again, the website, 32documentarydvd.com. If you want to order offline for those people who like to use credit cards and don't buy physical copies like that, you can order, uh, have a, a physical copy sent to you, or you can uh, order and stream it and watch it on your computer, either or. So we're covering all aspects. No yes. excuse. Yes. No excuse. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> Stream it, get it mailed to you, or go in the store and get it, however you want to do it. <laughs> Make sure y'all go subscribe to their YouTube, Lil Mo Films. Catch me on Facebook, Lil Mo Films, Instagram, Lil Mo Films, Google, everything. <laughs> Lil Mo Films. Lil Mo Films. Same here. Yeah. Instagram.com at MildePimp, Twitter.com at MildePimp, Facebook.com, MildePimp, a.k.a. MTP. Subscribe to Pimpaholic TV on YouTube. Mm. Holla back. Well, with my, uh, my Facebook is my government, Alan Vincent Swapshire. Um, for us, my Instagram, we would be A L S E M 
4600. Um, you can reach out to me anytime, ask any more information about the Community Bail Fund. All right. Gentlemen, I, I, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have y'all on. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate, appreciate the platform, definitely. Appreciate oh, man. that, man. It's all, it's all mine, y'all. And, and Maul, we're going to end this segment with you announcing your song. Let's hear about it. Oh, yeah, y'all check this out right here. This is the hot new single right here, the soundtrack for the most controversial documentary in the city. 32. Holler back. Check it out. Real spit. Sick Milo from the south side, he was loyal to me. And Freela Frank White, we need his music back on the street. 
street And to the ones awaiting trial I'm gonna keep praying for y'all yeah. Look to the sky and keep your face And wait for blessings to fall When the system is corrupted And no justice exists what? Only God can see you through In situations like this They hit my cousin in the system He been gone for some years Solid soldier to the bone I hope he get that appeal He's the third like a man Never did shed a tear It's called links in jail business Till my get here They give you life It's like it's ten years They hand out. Been in the game over 10 years, man, it's time to get out. Get railroaded off in court and leave your family hurt. That one judge and 12 jurors be your worst to the worst. You hear me? And to close out tonight's episode of Dante's Old South, we have Miss Carolyn Kelso, who's here to shed light on health and wellness and how it pertains to the creative process. How are you doing, Carolyn? Good, thank you. Now, you're a poet, as I understand. Yes. And you're also studying health and wellness, correct? I am. And where are you pursuing that degree? I am currently a student with American College of Healthcare Sciences that's based out of uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. And as an artist and also as one studying uh, health and wellness, which is not always, um, they're not always found together. Um, there's an adage that says, uh, that talks about the starving artist for a reason. To help those out there better understand how important uh, nutrition is to the creative process. Outline what your theories are on that. Um, I think to put that in perspective, nutrition is only one part of the whole umbrella of health and wellness. Um, health and wellness has a huge um, scope. You can have um, under the health section, obviously, mental health, physical health, nutritional health, emotional health, and wellness, it can pertain to your physical health again, or all the ones that I just mentioned, it's, it's how do you put them all together in a balanced way that puts you in the best mindset to live the best life that you can live. Everybody wants to have that ideal quality of life that they want to have. Um, when you're tied into the creative process, a lot of people write for cathartic reasons, and they kind of purge out their experiences if they're bad or good or emotionally sensitive. But if you're strong in body and strong in mind, then your best writing is going to come from that. So what are some, some dietary tips on how to, how to keep your mind sharp and your, and your body in the right physical place to, and to create? Assuming that you're mentally in a good place and you're physically in a good place, um, the, the brain actually uses carbohydrates um, for food. So when you hear a lot of folks talk about these low-carbohydrate diets, these keto diets, these high-protein diets, what they're going to experience if they're cutting really back on their carbohydrate intake is they're going to have brain fog. They're going to have a sluggish activity. They're, they're going to be moody. They're going to be grouchy. They're not going to have the patience with other people or with themselves if they don't understand what's going on metabolically with what they're eating and how their body's processing it. And to go along with that is a lot of folks are listening to marketing flyers, a lot of TV, a lot of advertisements. There's a huge push towards supplements and how they can benefit this or that in your activity. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about balance. And for those that are teetering on the edge of playing with a keto diet or high-protein diet, they really need to go get some proper counseling and go to a nutritionist or a dietitian to learn what that actually means so that they don't put their body in a state of lack and their brain is suffering because they're not getting the, the nutrients that it needs right away to, to, for the energy so that they can think properly and they can put their thoughts together. And everybody knows that if you write in a state of unhappiness, their writing is probably going to be unhappy. 
and it's going to come across that way. And if you're happy, it's going to come off a lot more lighthearted and entertaining and interesting. And so sometimes that misery or um, that being in a much better headspace can sometimes have a great deal to do with what you're eating or not eating. Right. So if you're trying to eat a super saturated, heavy carbohydrate dinner at 10 p.m., and then you think you're going to do your best riding around 10.30 p.m., and then you're going to add in your beverage of choice on top of that, you're really setting your body up for for misery because it's not going to be focusing on your riding. It's going to be focusing on the digestion of what's going on, and then you're going to be fatigued. You're not going to be um, 100% on your game as far as your thought process. Rightly so because the body's got a job to do, and it's processing food. It's not thinking about the lines of poetry or the the prose that you're trying to write. Now, some people think that in order to be healthy, you have to spend a lot of money to do it. Is that true? I think for those people that don't have an education in nutrition, they can think that's true. There's a lot of thought process behind people thinking that, you know, organic foods are more expensive or non-GMO foods are more expensive and that you're not really healthy unless you're eating full organic, vegetarian, non-GMO type of products. But the reality of it is, is that you have to balance your quality of life with your your um your finances. What can you afford? At the end of the day, you, you have to eat. And with the, some education, you can learn what better food choices to make with the budget that you have and not feel guilty about whether or not you're meeting society's expectation of food intake, nutritional intake, um, because everybody's financial status is different. Right. You know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a piece of whole wheat bread is a lot more nutritious than the person running down the street and getting restaurant takeout at lunch because they can. Right. You know? And that leads to my next question. What are some things that people can buy that are inexpensive to give them the maximum healthy benefit? If folks focused on whole foods, meaning food that's in its entire natural state, like a, a potato is actually a potato. If you bake a potato with the skin on it, you get a higher nutrient content in that entire potato then if you go to the grocery store and buy a container of pre, 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 pre-prepared mashed potatoes, because when you buy it already in a mashed potato state, it's already been manipulated. There's already a higher chance for um, pathogens and foodborne illnesses to be in the product. And not only that, they're going to add salt or whatever type of preservative to maintain that food quality. Where if, And for the price point, depending on the store, you can get a pre-made package of mashed potatoes anywhere between... Three ninety nine and say six dollars on wherever you shop, but you can get a whole bag, a five pound bag of pure potatoes that you can cook yourself. Which also brings in the fact that I think, unfortunately, today today's society is a convenience society. There's a lot of focus on you know non GMOs, organics, you know whole foods, but not a lot of people are preparing it. Right. There's a small population that's actually investing the time into buying the food and preparing it at home and eating the food. So it's a, it's a, it's a catch 22. It's a convenience thing and a financial thing. So sometimes the inconvenience is worth it when you come to health. Inconvenience. Yes. Yes. Now there's a prevailing thought when you say diet, that it means you have to live miserably. Is that true? Again, going back to the concept of those who are not educated in nutrition or health and wellness and their own life experiences and what they've seen their friends and family go through or even themselves, diet could be very negative. It could equal lack. You know, you have to go without something for it to work. 
Um, but I would challenge anybody to tell me which diets actually worked or are the folks that changed their lifestyle entirely and made themselves a priority and shopped Whole Foods and cooked their food and invested time into preparing their own sustenance. You know, did they lose weight? Did they maintain weight? Or did they gain weight? Some people actually need to gain weight. You know, did they maintain a healthy level of weight for themselves and have a better quality of life? So there's no easy fix. And in the best possible way that to to live a healthy diet, you have to actually change your lifestyle in a positive way. You do have to change your lifestyle if you've found that there is a change that needs to be made. I think a lot of times it's just a level of education, educating people. A lot of times people might be doing the right thing to begin with, but because social media, marketing, supplements, advertisements, they start to believe that they're missing something or or they're not including something or someone else is doing something healthier than they are. Well, maybe they had it right the whole time. I think for me, one of the most important things is to remember that each person, their body is an organism that's unique to itself. And so while there's general generalizations out there as far as how much, you know, fats, proteins, carbohydrates a person should be eating, it has to be calculated for that person, that individual person. And the only way you're going to know what that is is to go to someone who's properly schooled that can calculate those numbers for you and tell you exactly where you are today, what those macronutrient levels should be and how you should be eating them. Um, and that's going to fluctuate. So say you want to lose 10 pounds and in a month and a half you've lost, you know, six pounds or maybe in six months you've lost 55 pounds. Those numbers are going to adjust to reflect the body organism you have right now at the time that they're calculating it. And so you can't get too hung up on numbers. You have to constantly be willing to recalculate, 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 and make adjustments. Now, to do this recalculation, you said before it takes a professional. How can people contact one of these professionals? Where do they go to, to get a hold of one of them? Um, here in Georgia, the, the best place to go is really to reach out to a, a person that's a dietitian because they're properly licensed in the state of Georgia to provide individual nutrition plans. Um, what I caution folks about is going to the supplement stores and having the expert behind the counter tell you exactly how much protein your child should be eating because he's on the football team. And then they're selling you hundreds of dollars worth of supplements and your child is taking in a ton of protein, stressing out their organs because they're not really processing all that nu- that nutrient. Um, and they're dishing out tons of money on supplements when that money's better invested in a dietitian who's actually going to calculate the requirements for that person at the time they come in with their goal in mind of what it is they want to do. You know, a, a high schooler in, on a football team's dietary needs are going to be really different than the 50-year-old who's trying to maintain a healthy body mass, you know? So that's what I would recommend. You truly do have a passion for this. Thank you so much, Carolyn Kelso, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Dante's Old South. I want to thank WUTC and NPR for allowing me and my band of heathens to come in here again and entertain you fine folks. Please look online at www.kudzuleafpress.com to find all of my books and to find out the workshops, the lecture series, and how to find specific one-on-one help with your artistic program please visit www.southerncollectiveexperience.com. My name is Clifford Brooks. 
And to sign off, we'll leave with the song Whirling Metaphysics by Jamez Chang and yours truly. God bless and good night. Wisteria winds its way up the colonnades of my family's ancient home. Unburdened. Easing past noon, I in my mind hear clearly the Unburdened, our immigrant status. Palpitation, click. In this hooligan tribe, ancient, the last ancients, blink of the broken. I smoke trees, looting wings of intimacy. Goddamn butterflies drifting off the beat, snapping hyenas, nap, gun metal, fasting, glove box, Cadillac, battalions of playground bitches, bigger crosses, addiction. Nucleus in rhythm, throw dice, bug in the silent first breath I come, memory worn off, starving, lack chromosotone, keep pounding, the feel bound, as some petty beasts worship in the sun, looking to God, hoping my jaw, nothing return, exposed, close to this faith, unnoticed, sandpaper, blood, my focus, flipped off, Jesus, choky toby is joke, Passing out Cupid's throat, slitting, whistling, sleepless, crippled, spinning shit, double chins, perpetual sin, sniveling, fucking bickering, a Buddha layers in the meat, ravenous gin, anorexia by 9 p.m., marrow freezing maggots, inhabiting a space of black cigarette companion, how it looks when you shook mango, broken hearts like bloodshot rhymes, beneath this mellow hook crowd, dissected eight down, hip hop Jack Johnson, chugging around, rat tap booms, Necros upon us, man, devil's pawn, old things, sizzles in a blue flame, a bad of veins, for broken eyes, bad thoughts, bold, cherished photos, half divine. I keep a cloud skype by my side. If only I say here. Undulates under the sheets, billow sex without pistols, chip teeth. The last wife left drunk with hearts punched in intravenous instruments, squeamish, scissor fingers, up, 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 wrist, veins, and lipstick, downpour in the sizzle of a black eyed beat. Stone sipped in the stream of a conduit, photons collided in our minds, pierced by the tracks, bat, bat, and spans. Earth split and missed my worst habit. Long struggle at the 39 days in my mind. My green ink embedded in tips, throat snap out your jade drizzle with vinyl creaking. Hopped out old house looks back. Keep a cloud sleeping on tin roofs. Arizona lost the second guesses. Keep Discipline, linguistics loose, loose, broken. Great uncle's roses unfurl. Across the street, bells ring, hymns, now they toll six. The bells are innocuous, we expect no...